Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional, a sales leader, or just starting out, you're going to find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. I'm thrilled to introduce our next guest, Brian Kavicki, Vice President and Owner of Lucian Inc. A true advocate of the sales profession, Brian's mantra is clear. Character is the only thing you have. With a career steeped in successful sales, sales management, and operations for high-growth companies, Brian partners with presidents, CEOs, and entrepreneurs who seek accelerated business expansion. Tune in to understand how he built himself and others on the foundations of curiosity, persistence, grit, and character, and how Lucian is helping to elevate the sales profession. So let's get started with Brian. Hey, Brian, welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. How you doing, my man? Good. Good to be here. Well, I really appreciate you coming. This has been a long time uh, in the works, and uh, we should probably do this in person because you're just over in Indianapolis, aren't you? Yep. Yeah, so I got about an hour, maybe, well, two uh, two and a half hours to you. It's not bad. You told me like right before this that you, uh, you're you taking off some bucket list items here in the next couple of uh, weeks. Uh, are you heading to the, I hear you're heading to the great north. Yep, going on a trip through Norway. That'll be fun. Looked forward to that for about a year. So it's 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 closing in. What do you got planned while you're over there, by chance? Just uh, basically doing a, a Norway cruise version where we're stopping at all the ocean side and cruising through the fjords and seeing the scenery and the waterfalls and the wildlife and everything that comes with that. Hey, so are you a believer in when you do that, do you shut down completely? Is there is the cell phone off? Is the slack off? Is everything back in Indianapolis just dead to you? Yes, I am. Uh, it is not a vacation if I stay connected. Is the cell phone off? No, because there's people that need to reach you or it's a little bit easier when they're that far away because the time zones don't quite work. So, mm-hmm. but I am not a. There, there are times where I'll do things where I'm, I'm mixing up work and leisure. And for me, that's mostly about the change of environment, not the purpose for the trip. But when it's vacation, it's vacation. And, and somebody had used a phrase in a book we read when we were raising our kids, like first, first kid. And it, it really stuck. And it's be where your feet are. So it's the whole idea of being present wherever your feet are, be present in those moments. And it's, it's not healthy. I don't believe to be, be, to be where your feet are in one place and your mind is in another. It's not good for yourself because it's disconnected. You don't enjoy the trip and the people you're with don't get to enjoy you or you don't get to enjoy them. That's a great, that's a great phrase. How do you transition? I'm going to transition that directly into uh sales like when you're it seems like that applies there too like it has to right it does and it does in a lot smaller doses you know when you're in sales a lot of times you're not present in the conversation that you have 
you're having a conversation with yourself, you're analyzing things, you're thinking, what's my next question? Where am I going? How am I taking this? What do I have to accomplish? Instead of just being present in the conversation and letting the conversation go where it goes. I, I would agree that's an applicable philosophy for even that. Yeah, I'll, and I'll tell you, like, doing this, this has been a fascinating experience, experience doing this podcast because it it's another thing that forces forces that habit. Um, I find when I'm doing, when I'm thinking of the next four questions or or I'm setting things up or I'm not being curious, it kills an interview. Cause you're not, you're not going with the flow of everything. And I just, I relate that back to how I've, how I sold early in my career, which was, I absolutely sold early in my career on saying, saying the right things, feeling the need to say the right things in the right order, to the right people, you know, just waiting for the objection to come up so I could hit it out of the park instead of being curious uh, and, and diving in with people. So one of the things I am extremely curious with you about is how did you get into, you've been in sales for a long time. You have a great career in sales. How did you get into sales? I I was one of those people that, you know, I read a lot of childhood books about careers. No, I I did not. I was the, (laughs) the classic accidental you find yourself in it. So after I, I went to Purdue um, and I got a job with the company and they said, where, where do you want to move? And I said, I don't know, California. And they said, sure. So I moved to California to start. And, and the way that this company worked, they were an electrical wholesaling company and they would hire people out of college and they would put them in a three-year management training program where you basically learned all the jobs in an electrical wholesaling situation all the way through man. So, I mean, I moved to LA and my first day of work was learning to drive the forklift and going on delivery routes with truck drivers to learn how truck driving was and, you know, loading trucks and putting orders together and warehouse management. And the the last phase before you became a manager, kind of in your year two to three time frame was sales. And so at that point, they moved me to a pretty strong location in Oakland, California, with some pretty strong salespeople. And I started to work with them and learn from them. And they gave me a territory and I found myself in sales. And what what was interesting was um, the, the managers of the locations where they would train you would give you horrible accounts. You know, they had they had their own people that they were paying, that they were retaining. You were free labor to them. So they mm-hmm. give you either accounts that were terrible or a lot of work or ones that, you, like, if they got them, great. If they didn't, who cares? Uh, and this manager was pretty smart. He gave me some of the toughest accounts that nobody could get in the area and said, well, see what you can do with these. And I got them. And I started getting business from them and I started making things happen. And, and, you know, they were like, what are you doing? And I go, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, no, even though it was a training program, it was more of a mentorship. There was no do this or here's how this works. I would just go meet with people and go, 
hey, how, how do I get business? <laughs> you're like, you're a huge company. How do I, how do I do this? And uh, I had one guy, he was a purchasing guy for the biggest company. And they were in the, they were installing all the BART subway and the trains and all the tracks and all the electricals. I mean, they were a huge company. And I said, look, I'm out of college. I don't know stuff. How, how do I get business from a huge company like yours? And he said, you show up here every Tuesday, you sit in that chair and you do it enough times on a consistent basis, I'll start handing you orders. And I said, okay. So I show up and sit in the chair and I'd say, am I doing this right? And he goes, yeah, I got nothing for you. And I go, okay, see you next week. And I I did it about three or four times. And he goes, I got some stuff to talk about with you. And I was like, okay. And that was his little test to see if I was actually going to do what he said to do. And he started loading me up with orders and introducing me to the CEO. And I started to get a ton of business. And I went, hey, I if this is all it takes to be good at sales, I like this. And then they moved me out of there, gave me my own location. Um, and, and I was a turnaround manager, but I kind of fell into it that way. And I was just I was just good at it. I didn't, I, there was no skill. I just asked people, what do I do? And they told me what to do. And I did it. That's, that's fascinating. You say there's no skill there. Like I, when you dive into it, right. What is so much, so much to be a part of sales is one showing up and two, just understanding the buyer. Right. So it's, those are two critical things that I took immediately out of that story that people take for granted all the time. It's right. I, I, why do we prospect? Because we need to be present. We need to be in front of people. You know, just show up, understand the buyer's buy process, get into it. So you decided to take that. And the other thing that hit me, I'm going to go back for a second. You, you just said you went into a three-year management training program. Like, how important was that in shaping your career? Because I don't hear a lot of companies investing at that level anymore. They they sort of invested and they sort of didn't. Um, okay. They would. So the wholesaling industry at that time that I went in had a lot of what I would call old timers, people that had been in the business forever that were running things, and they had this need where they would lose managers to retirement or termination or even promotion and they would have nobody that could step in and fill it because you know everybody in the location wanted the job and people didn't want to move and people were settled in so they could get the, you know these college people that said you know you're going to move a lot you're going to transfer a lot you didn't have a family you weren't rooted in all those things and we were actually perfect because of it because they could say, hey, you've been here for two years. I need you to move you to another city. And you're like, okay, because you didn't have kids in school. It wasn't hard. So it was actually, they were benefiting from it. They were underpaying us by a lot to do it. And their argument was, well, we're, we're, we're paying you less in exchange for learning and giving you a career in this where you're going to be successful and make a lot of money. And it was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take that investment. Was it important to my career? Uh, yeah, because I learned an entire industry in three years and how it worked. But a lot of it was being in the role. You know, there's the the shows on TV like the where the CEO goes and you know spends time in their own company and learns a lot. 
And mm-hmm. you would go in and people would know you're a management trainee and they would, and, and you know, they'd say, I, I realize you're doing this because you have to, and you could do this and you're already on a path to manager and they would judge you out of the gate. So you walked into high conflict and they would judge you. And then you'd also have to learn from them. And they, they wanted to teach you. They like all of these people wanted to show you, this is how I do my job. I'm proud of it. This is what works. And it, and you just learn to interact with employees before you were their manager to really understand how they thought, what their logic was, what their life's work, work, all that. And so as a manager, you know, I took all that and went, okay, I understand what's going on in these heads. And I, I now know how to be a better manager and respond to it. And in the last location I worked at, um, I, I remember in my first week, one of the, it was a huge sales team and they were all veteran old timers in there. And I remember coming in and meeting with them. And one of the guys that had been avoiding me as the new manager came up to me and he got real close to me. And he said, do, do you shave yet? Like, are you old enough to shave yet? <laughs> and I'm going, okay. So, you know, here I come in, this guy's been in this business for 25, 30 years. Of course, he's going to say that. And I said, yeah, I actually, I actually do. I, my hair goes really fast. And he's like, okay, I just want to make sure. And I went, I know now what's in his head. And I knew exactly what to do to turn around that sales team because of their big doubt in me. And it wasn't like, you know, I'm going to slap you in the face or insubordination and is like, okay, I, I see where you're going. I know what you're thinking. I've been in your job. I now know what to do. I'd be threatened if I were you too. And it told me a lot. So, so how do you go about do tell me a little bit more about that. So you're diving in because that's you're changing behaviors, you're changing attitude. What did that tell you? And then how did you how did you act on it? So it's interesting that you asked that question. Because what I learned as a trainee, I applied as a manager. So as a trainee, that that actually manager, works. they gave me all the accounts that were impossible to go get and mm-hmm. difficult. And I knew I was successful in going after those types of accounts. So every time I get moved to a location, I would meet with the sales team and I would say, Guys, you've been doing this a long time. You've got great relationships with your accounts. You've got good business. I don't want to mess or change anything. Uh, What I would like is all the accounts that are too difficult, too big, and that you haven't had success with because I I want to know who those are and and I want to go talk to those people. And these sales guys think that mindset that goes, did you shave? He's taking out his list and going, here's all the people you'll never get. And so he gave me that, they all gave me the impossible list. And then I would go start selling to those accounts uh, and bringing in business that they couldn't get. And that's when they would start asking me questions. How did you do that? And how how come? And what? why did that work? And so I, I, I more pulled them in instead of did the whole What's your pipeline? What are you working on? All this stuff. It was like, let me just show you I know how to do this. And then they would start to ask questions and and start to do things and say, well, I've always wanted this account. What do I do? And that's how I'd pull them in. That's a great story. I mean, you lived it, so you you know that. But that that's just a great story for all managers out there that are thinking, oh my gosh, how do I reach a 
how do I reach a new group? How do I reach this new group of people that I'm trying to lead that I'm trying to dig in with? And you just served is what I'm hearing. You served and modeled, served and modeled how to how to make things happen until there was belief. So how does that relate then? Because I think that's that that had to be really formational in how you define and look at sales today. Like how does that experience how do you define sales today? And then how did you come to that decision? Um, so how, how do I define sales today would be um, decoding human behavior and managing the natural conflicts that exist. So if you know you've heard phrases like all things are sales, you know, sales is everywhere, you're always selling, but it really comes down to understanding, paying attention, knowing why people do what they do knowing knowing what the patterns are and knowing when you see something or hear something or there's a behavior thing that you know what it means um, and you know what those indicators are telling you so that you can adjust. And it's understanding that you're walking into conflict. You know, if, if, if I am perceived as a salesperson, somebody has got their guard up in, in patterns of dealing with a salesperson. And if I know what that conflict is and know where it comes from and i know how to show up to take away the conflict or diffuse the conflict or change the fact that it's conflict into something good and navigate all that that's when people can be effective in in selling so you're accepting inherently like i honestly i've never heard a definition like that i i love it uh, I think it it provides a lot of depth, but that acceptance that you are walking into a conflict, how does that change your mindset? Because you are, I mean, you're, you're, they're not, salespeople are never showing up generally where they're loved and they're welcomed in and hey, there, there's always this idea of, I mean, it's a natural idea that you're walking into a room of people that, or uh, that are a situation where they don't know you, you need to need to have them trust you. And more often than that, you need to have them trust you to be able to exchange their hard-earned money for it. So how does that change your mindset when you're thinking about, okay, I need to decode the behavior and then I'm, I am arming up for a potential or for conflict, for just natural conflict. So if you think of, um, you know, the, the, the conversation to somebody said this yesterday, you go, it's the conversation to the cash. Well, well, not all of that is sales process. Mm-hmm. When, when you look at prospecting, prospecting is a non-selling activity. Prospecting is a qualifying activity. So if I'm going into a prospecting situation where I'm looking for people to meet, I'm, I'm qualifying to, do they have a reason to meet? Does it make sense to meet? Do they have issues and challenges that are there? And, and to, to break through that, I have to know what patterns, what they're going to do to resist that, get through those patterns and establish credibility really, really fast. And most of that is through understanding their issues, not asking them what their issues are. So if, if somebody calls you up or reaches out to you and they know what you're likely facing and you're correct about that, they want to meet with you. So then as we switch into selling, which is where the definition lies, you're walking into high conflict. But remember, they took the meeting. They opened the door. They they said, yes, come, let's meet. They scheduled time. Well, if your mindset is, I have something to prove here, you're, you're screwed. And that's where your 
you're making the conflict worse because you're you're there for your needs, not theirs. But if you think, look, these are people who did invite me in. These people accepted the meeting. They want to talk about this to me. I'm not going to interfere with that. But understand that they have a wall up going, I don't want the salesperson to know so much because they're going to take advantage of me. So how do I create the safe place? How do I make sure they have control? How do I make sure that they're okay with admitting, telling me what's wrong, telling me their challenges? You, you can quickly de-escalate the conflict by just thinking these people wanted to meet with me. They accepted the meeting instead of re-trying to prove yourself. So you talked about curiosity, you know, that curiosity of why did you decide to meet with me? Why do you want to have this conversation? Why are we here today instead of, you know, hey, let me show you what I know and what I can do for you where the conflict now goes back up. Boy, that that makes a lot of sense because if you're coming in and um, and I've framed it different ways, but if you're coming in and you're immediately pitching and aggressively saying, "Here's why you should work with me," the the barriers are up, right? But there's some of that I, I, I haven't heard, and I love I love how you're working through this, calling prospecting a non-selling activity. I actually, um, where where did you come about that separation and? How does that help you on both sides of it, like with prospecting and when once you find that opportunity in the pipeline? Well, words have meaning. Mm -hmm. And so if you even just look at the word prospecting, prospecting is referencing the gold rush. And in the gold rush, you would you would buy a plot of land for to mine it. You would go out and you would go sit in the stream. And you would sift through dirt until you found gold. There was no selling in prospecting except when you actually found the gold, but you weren't selling in that activity. So why would we morph that word into something it's not? It's it's literally sift through dirt to find the gold. And the gold in this, you know, the overall process is somebody that actually has a challenge and needs what you do or what you have. So that that keeps it clean and it helps give the correct perspective of the only reason we should meet is if you have challenges or you have a need that I can help with. If you don't have those challenges, I shouldn't convince you. You, I mean, the, the prospector is not going to convince the stream to produce the gold. Why, why, why would we ever think that way? It's interesting because we've, we do think that way in a lot of, I mean, well, practically, like practically when you're, when you hear prospecting, when you hear people come at you uh, and the calls that they're making, and I'm sure you get a bunch of them. I'm sure you get a bunch of the LinkedIn, that mindset, people think that way, like, okay, you're the stream, you're the stream. You need to bring gold to my doorstep just because I tell you what I do. You're training people out there every day. How do you, how do you help them change that? that mentality on that prospecting side because i know a lot of our listeners are really they really focus on there's a lot of high volume prospecting listeners because we have a complex we're about a complex sale so how do you help them change that mindset and what are some of the keys that you give to them to be successful let's say that you started your very first day with a brand new company and your role was heavily prospecting out of the gate the company mm -hmm. basically said to you uh, go book meetings um 
all you need to know and understand about that company, what that company sells, is what the what the the prospect is facing. So the way that we teach it is, if you look in your crystal ball, what is what is the challenge? What is the issue? What are they facing? What's going on? And if you show up in front of a person with your crystal ball and you say, you know, these are the types of things that that people that want to talk with us are facing, are struggling with, are all those things. Do you have that stuff or not? Because if you don't, we shouldn't meet. If you do, maybe we should. And it's a very simple decision. It's not, I'm trying to create something that isn't there. I'm asking, is it there or not? And that's it. So we teach our clients what that, how to phrase that, what to do to break the patterns and all those things. But it's around this idea that, that you're you're describing that to you. And, and you've you've experienced this if you've, you know, drug commercial, it's an identification thing. You're sitting there watching TV and in the background, you hear this drug commercial and they're saying things like, have you ever felt like you didn't have energy at the end of the day? Have you ever felt like your memory was going? And you're like, what's this about? Because you're mm-hmm. identifying with that little crystal ball. And then you see what it is and you're like, yeah, I don't want that. Um, because they're trying to jam everything into a 30-second spot. You've also seen your doctor do it. If your doctor is describing, you know, you know, here's what you're probably feeling. Here's what is going through. Here's in that diagnosis process, you go, they, they know what to do about it. So credibility comes from understanding the problem, not, not being able to pitch that, you know, to solve it. Let's, let's dive in. Cause I, I am the recipient and hopefully my team is not I know my team is not the the creator of these types of messages, but I am the recipient of a whole lot of those. And I see that as one of the big uh, challenges facing sales today is is how we effectively communicate from the get, from prospecting to... And so that's great advice. If you are a listener, you're a new sales person, you just became an SDR, that is amazing advice that Brian just got you. Get that crystal ball out. Now, what are some of the other major major issues that you see facing sales today and i'll just leave it at that from a salesperson's perspective i think the the major issue is is the movement of technology especially in the eyes of prospecting we're seeing all kinds of technology tools now there's ar ai analysis and crafting of emails and messaging uh, for different prospect personas there's just tons of different things out there to aid and help with prospecting. But the problem is, is that um, because things are moving too fast and when something comes out that's good, everybody jumps on it. Like LinkedIn direct messaging worked extraordinarily well in 2020 when everybody switched to home offices you know, they could have their, they were sitting at their computer, they were meeting on Zoom, checking out of meetings, like it worked great. And then every salesperson did it. And now it is almost worthless or very difficult to have impact doing that. And it, it still works, but it only works if you put the human aspect back into it. So when people say, well, I'm going to automate things, or I'm going to do things at scale or any of those things that they're they're destroying the experience of the prospect. And he, here's how bad it, it is. Um, I 
I was on the other side as a prospect of a prospecting email campaign. And I knew it was a campaign based on the timing and the intervals and the messaging because it it just felt disconnected of not really understanding who we were even as a company in the pitch. And the second email that came was a game. And the game was, uh, hey, Brian, um, I had problems with my email last week, so I'm not sure if um, I, you got my email. Um, just checking in with you to see if you read it. You, you got it, right? I was like, really? I mean, there's there's somebody putting an email out there saying, I had challenges with my email. Did you read my email? Knowing full well that I did, because they probably put a tracker on the email and then to play those types of games. And, you know, I responded, no, I haven't gotten this email or any others from you, which, you know, is ridiculous to say, but it's this idea of, what what are you actually doing? What you're you're not you're not actually relevant. You're trying to be relevant by doing something that's a game, and it's all through automation. It'll probably take two or three days for that salesperson to respond to my email that I did reply to, just because their automation is probably working at such a huge level they can't pay attention uh, to know. Oh, I've got someone who actually engaged. From a management perspective, the problem is a lot different. It's in uh, finding and, and, and onboarding good salespeople. And because it's hard to identify and find good salespeople and onboard people correctly, people are actually hiring the wrong people who they're, they're, they're settling for what they think should be good. They're walking into an onboarding plan that's not strong enough. And they're losing those people and they're spending all this effort on not, not getting it right. So where do you go to, we've got two, two challenges there. Let's go to the, let's go to the first one, because I, I think it's really important. How do we then coach people on this tech? I, Cause I see it too. There's a technology, it's a gold rush every, every three months. Right. And it's going to be even faster than that continually. Like, but it's not the answer. It's not the solution. There's no, what do you think the solution is to actually helping helping reps navigate that technology and just be good at their job? Well, be good at your job is the answer then. <laughs> um, because, you know, think of a, the, the company that leverages the technology and builds a product and sells the prod, product is selling to the marketplace that is weak in that area. The best salespeople don't need tools to book meetings. They don't need technology to do it. They know how to reach out to someone to get a meeting, to make that connection, to have a very effective conversation in a, in five minutes or less, and to advance into a sales process right from there. So if the best people don't need it, why would anyone else need it? But if I'm weak and I want a shortcut and I don't want to work on my craft or being good, I'm going to gravitate toward those products as those things will get me there faster logically. And that's where that's why you see the masses join it. And, and, and every time a company makes a software and says, hey, here's a tool for you, this will help with this. Remember that they're they're vultures, they're they're pre- they built that thing for the weak. 
and and they're they're taking sales is such a big industry and a huge marketplace and lots of dollars that if somebody can figure out how to make it work in sales, they're going to do it to capture that audience because they know the majority of salespeople are not strong people and who will buy it. But knowing you, Brian, you're not anti-technology, right? That is, it actually is a big part of everything that you do is, is technology. So what is a right-sized, there, there is right-sized technology that helps you build skills. And this isn't a push for membrane. I'm not trying to do that. This is a, this is a push for what are the, the elements of a right-sized technology that can help people do their job, but not, you know, we're, we're not looking to make D players, A players. We'd rather invest with te- through technology. I think we need to invest in them in training. What is, but what is the right size technology? The right size technology is the, is the technology that actually assists or makes something easier for someone, whether they're weak or strong. So if I can, uh, there there was a software company that made a CRM where it enabled you to pay attention to how often and in your engagement level that you personally engage with your network. So it would track your emails, your texts, your phone calls, everything, and it would say, "Hey, you haven't talked to this person in two months. Do you want to? Do you want to maybe reach out to them?" For me, that was great. Because when I was at a point where I was trying to build a network and it was telling me as I was trying to build it, hey, don't let this network fall off. And it was a way to organize yourself and then kind of automate some prompts of, hey, do you want to reach out? It didn't do it itself. It wasn't acting like me. It was, hey, you might want to talk to this person. That was gold for me. You know, Mm -hmm. systems and infrastructure that help a salesperson figure out things what to do or direct them in ways or approaches or help them troubleshoot scenarios or or automate monotonous tasks those types of things like i'm i'm not even against email automation there's 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 a there's a case for email automation as long as it's personal to the experience and you're keeping the prospect in mind but then people go well i'm going to automate emails so that i can send millions of them and depersonalize it you've just destroyed the use because you haven't kept the core this is a human conversation human dynamic that i have to keep in place but there are there there's an argument for our automation there it's just how it's used if i'm using it as a shortcut, it's bad. If I'm using it to enhance or make my job easier, it's good. And so that that ties to the talent discussion because I think we're both on the same page. There really is no shortcut. Like there's there's things to help you, but there's no shortcut to being able to to develop the skills, to develop the the abilities to really dive in with companies or dive in with sales and become good at it. Like there's just a journey. Um, some people take it faster than others. So how do you help companies? You say talent is the the second big thing that's facing sales today. How is that being addressed and how are you helping out? So, so we help out in making sure that our clients don't make bad hires. There's plenty of people out there to hire. The hiring mistakes is the problem, not the not not the hire. Like when people say I can't find people, it's usually they're, they're, they haven't built their company to attract the right people, but when they do find people and their problem is, yeah, I have people, but they don't perform. 
It's usually because they think they know what a salesperson is supposed to be, but they're not. And they're hiring the wrong people. They're hiring people with pedigrees and resumes and can talk the talk or have the personality or using all these things by saying, well, they, they look like somebody that could sell. But it comes from this. They don't understand what selling is. They don't understand what the skill sets are. They don't know how to, to find those things, whether it's an assessment or an interview. And then on top of that, they don't know what made their current people successful and how to duplicate that journey, as you say, into a person that's walking into their world. I'd say 80% of the companies say, we got to hire somebody with experience in our world. They hire that person. And then that person brings all the things that they've done that haven't worked great into a new scenario. And instead of saying, well, here's a person with no industry experience, but has selling abilities. Why don't we teach them our business and show them how we sell things here? And those people ramp up faster. Yeah, I walked right directly into the middle of this uh, early on in my career, which was a fascinating thing. And I think it persists today. But um, like, so I I started selling in 2003 and I was presented with a bunch of people. I got into a company and I was presented with a bunch of people that were supposedly models of great salespeople because they'd been successful before. Um, the challenge in that is they were successful because of the gold rush, not because of the skills, meaning there was a big there was a big push at that time in that industry um, across it. And in general, software and and was was really was really booming, right? Um, so there was a big push where everybody got everybody got paid. And even if you were a D player, right, you got into sales, you were good and you got paid. And and I think we're also so I it was one of those things that I was like, who do I model? Because is sales supposed to be about just taking orders from a territory? And our salespeople is do they fight about is is the key thing that they do is fight about territories and who gets an inbound lead, right? That was what I was that initial training. And I was I was just so disillusioned by that, actually, because it really didn't take any any skill to get in. I, I think we're facing, do you see that we're facing something similar to that today because the VC money's drying up? The there's been a lot of issues in, I mean, and maybe it's just software that I'm seeing, but VC money's drying up, orders are are much less frequent, and people are needing to really dive in and get better with their teams. Is that a pattern you're seeing? Well, if you talk about VC money driving up, it, it, VC money isn't drying up. Um, what they're doing is they're being more selective with where their money goes. And everybody says, well, there's not as much money. There's just as much money. It's just that they're taking away the runway because they, they've given such long runways for people to gain traction that they've lost patience over that runway. And so they're pulling runway and repeated funding out. So it's it's actually good because it's forcing people to become effective who were sort of wasting time along the way because they had cash to burn. Um, the marketplace is shifting and it will continue to shift. Um, we're going to have likely to have some pretty good periods, some pretty, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, when was the recession going to occur and all these things that we're, we're going to have a pretty good outlook probably across most industries for a while. And it's it's not it's going to look more like you described, where there's a lot of order taking, there's a lot of success. 
But what people actually should prepare for is, am, am I good enough to handle a dip? If I didn't have all this, would I be good? And, and really self-evaluate that. If, if, if I'm a CEO and I stopped marketing budgeting and said, we're not going to do marketing anymore, would my sales team survive or would they crumble? And that tells you whether or not you have a strong performing team. You may not need one today, but you should be building the one that can handle when your market shifts. I There was a quote, I think it was by one of the leaders of Gong, and I, I might get this get this wrong, but it was essentially, I, I loved it. It was, I want to build a product that's so easy to sell and also and build a team that could sell it was essentially, I want to build a team that could uh, sell anything, right? So building the talent and the people and the timing and the training into a team that they could sell regardless of a market capability, but then arming them with a product that's top notch. And obviously that that company did really, really well. But that investment in training and that investment in people and that investment in and salespeople, are you seeing that that is something that most companies are driving to these days, or are they? Is there a lot of fence sitters? They're they're still investing heavily in training and people and and all those things. But the problem is, it's it's not that the money's not there. It's the problem is it's it's the money's wasted. So a lot of companies will say, "Well, we need to train our people." And so they'll find a way to train their people and check the box that they're training their people, but they won't leverage that training into effective results. They won't question, as long as the box is being checked, it's good. And so there's, what happens is, you know, there's a lot of not great training that is checking the box, but isn't moving the needle in a company. But somebody who's responsible for training is getting accolades because they found training. That That's more what we see is, the large amount of ineffective training uh, as opposed to the, they're, they're not, they're not sitting on the sidelines. Okay. The ineffective training, how do you solve that? All you have to do is ask for, so show me the results before you started training, show me the results since you've been doing training and you look at the, have them look at the improvement and say, so is that a good use of your money? And the the numbers and the data tell the story of you know people people know when it's not good mm-hmm. like it, it's it's when you, if you're sitting in training and you're going this this is interesting or I get it but it's not helping like you know even as a participant whether something is moving your own needles much less the companies yeah I think uh, that's one of the biggest things that's that's really um, I see, I'm seeing today in market is that that wasted, I agree with you, that wasted dollar on training, but then being able to come back and see the companies that are doing it well, are the ones that actually integrated into their everyday way of doing business, right? So it's not just a one-time event, but it's an integrated, like if you sign up for a trainer or a coach, uh, having somebody come in for a kickoff meeting and leave, it might get them fired up, but I don't know what that's doing other than getting them fired up. Um, so how do I, I can't, it's nine, it's, uh, we're almost an hour in and I can't believe we're still chatting. So one of the things I want to just make sure that you are able to do is uh, tell people where to find you because after this, I think you're going to have a lot of, uh, 
a lot of people that are interested in learning more about what Brian Brian has to say. If you go to www.lushin.com, um, you could look us up. Uh, there's a lot of resources, videos, um, a lot of manager resources, articles, things there. Go through that. But And if somebody said, hey, I want to talk to you about our team, just reach out and say, I want to talk to you and we'll talk. Are you on LinkedIn? LinkedIn as well, yes. Do you, do you use it or respect to, if people connect with you or chatted with you on there about this? Would you be answering or should they go to the website? Oh, no. Link, LinkedIn's. Yeah. If, if they want to or, or even just follow and not connect either way, that's fine. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Any final uh, thoughts that you want to leave the audience with as we close up today? If you've settled in in your head that there's nothing that you can do about a situation, it might be because you don't have the skill. Uh, we're finding a lot of people are accepting mediocrity or accepting the way things are. And it's because they don't know that they could do something about that. And they've rationalized their way so there's nothing that can be done. But keep in mind, if you, if something is an obstacle. It might be because you don't have the skill to get through the obstacle. Great way to end it. Thank you so much, everybody out there. Brian Kavicki, it's fantastic. Find him on LinkedIn and at Lucian.com. I thank you so much for coming to the Art and Science of Complex Sales today and listening. Keep shining bright and have a great one. See you. Thank you so much for listening to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying enough is enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering, and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.